Hello and welcome to this Global Situation podcast from International SOS, the leading health and security risk services company. I'm Chris Giles. In this episode, we wanted to take a closer look at the global health agenda, telling you about what you need to know about the issues that can affect health across national boundaries, things like COVID and climate change. We'll also find out about some of the projects teams at International SOS are helping the organisations we're working with to manage and discuss the many challenges and risks they face. Well, joining me today is Dr Natalie Gray, who's International SOS's Technical Director for Aid and Development, and Philippe Gilbert, our Global Medical Director for Consulting with the Europe Consulting Practice. So Natalie, can I begin by asking you how global health differs from public health? So I think it's important when we're thinking about global health and public health and the similarities and differences between them to think about it in three ways. Firstly, the area of impact. Secondly, the focus of the programs. And then thirdly, the sort of disciplinary approaches that we use. So fundamentally, public health focuses on issues that impact the health of a population in a particular community or nation. It might be as simple as an outbreak of food poisoning at a work dinner, or it might be an increase in a particular health problem across an entire country. But it's very much on a national or sub-national level. And what that essentially means is that the development of solutions or public health strategies tend to be at local or national levels rather than involving global cooperation. Global health, on the other hand, is much, much bigger in scale. So it focuses on issues that either directly or sometimes indirectly impact health across national boundaries. So to give a really obvious example, COVID-19, a pandemic, is something that affected health everywhere. But other issues like, for example, climate change that impact health in a whole series of direct and indirect ways, no matter where you live, would also fall under the banner of global health. And what this means is that global health issues normally require the cooperation of multiple countries and multiple actors in health across the globe to be able to address their scale and complexity. And essentially, those differences mean that the disciplinary focus is a bit different. So when we're talking about public health, we often talk about the social determinants of health. So poverty, gender and other factors that can influence your health outcomes. But they're very much talked about within the context of health and social sciences. Whereas by their nature, global health issues are even broader. So we don't just talk about health and social sciences, but environment, climate change, infrastructure, financing, and all of these broader issues that affect health at this global scale. Okay, thanks for the moment, Natalie. Now, I want to turn to Philippe, and I know that you've recently been to the World Health Summit in Berlin. So could you tell us a bit more about some of the main priority areas for global health that emerged from that conference? Chris, this World Health Summit is an annual meeting bringing together institutions along the World Health Organization, the civil society and the private sector together to discuss precisely the most important topics in health. And and this year, very much we have brought topics along the lines of, of course, I would say the traditional ones such as universal health coverage with a renewed dedication to to support access to primary health care and, and, and build uh, robust uh, systems. Global health equity access, as was mentioned before by Natalie, you know, which is about the fair access to vaccines, drugs, 
technology and resources. But what's interesting to us definitely was to hear the renewed commitment on, on pandemic preparedness, you know, with an, the need for an enhanced coordination, you know, and, and finding together some guidance for future pandemic prevention, preparedness and response and how this could be globally coordinated with a renewed role and central and pivotal role of the World Health Organization and with a focus as well on data sharing. How could it be improved? So pandemic preparedness was back again on the topic and as was mentioned by Natalie as well, you know, the topic of sustainable health, you know, which is the interlinkage between the health of, of the people and the health of the planet. And that's very much addressing climate change effects and the, how to implement mitigate mitigation strategies and how this, uh, this, uh, this, there's a need for policies that needs to be uh, you know, put in place at um, a global level, but also at national level. So again, a very uh, interesting forum where we could uh, really understand, and that's our role at International SOS, what could be the space of private organizations to help these organizations address and tackle these global health issues. And I wonder, I mean, I guess everybody thinks of COVID. So since then, do you think you've noticed some sort of evolution in the understanding of the global health agenda by sort of corporations? And, and how does that materialise? This is indeed fascinating because we've seen over the last years a sort of a broadening of the traditional health topics that organisations would address. You know, it, it started, of course, with occupational health, which is the, the duty of organisations to protect people from harm at work and ergonomic issues or travel, international mobility, when people started to, to travel. And over the time, we found that organizations had to broaden their definition of, of health and uh, address health in a broad spectrum, broad understanding, uh, for instance, engaging employees and communities on, on mental health and well-being, which is kind of new in reality. It was not much the priority of organization for the past uh, you know decades or so and and just before covid and of course covid has magnified and has triggered the need for organizations to understand that health is not only physical health you know it's a, the broad definition of the world health organization is mental physical and emotional health altogether and that's the duty and the responsibility of organizations so understanding this is uh, one tiny little aspect of the global health agenda that in reality, some organizations are, I would say most of organizations are considering, and as was mentioned before as well, environmental health, the impact on the environmental health, the impact of climate evolution on the, the workability of, uh, of employees and its impact on communities. And I think altogether has, has you know, transformed the understanding of organizations on their responsibility, their duty to protect not only their people, their employees, but also um, surrounding communities or the society at large, and we've seen this during COVID, where uh, many organizations felt that their responsibility was to uh, not only keep their business afloat, of course, and, and ensure business continuity, but also participate to the effort society had to put together to tackle this coronavirus outbreak. Now, International SOS contributes to the global health agenda for both our consulting and private sector clients, as well as the aid and development sector. And Philippe, I wanted to know, how do we work with our consulting clients on the issues relating to the global health priorities that you've just mentioned? So from a consulting standpoint, our role is definitely to help organisations understand the vulnerability, the, the, the risk, assessing how much 
um, exposed are their employees or communities or projects in many locations where now the reality of climate change is impacting the workplace and the way people work and, and live. So our role is really to help them understand and in some way project what could be the likely consequences of the evolution of climate in terms of uh, heat waves, in terms of extreme weather, extreme temperatures, um, air quality issues, but also in terms of uh, the spread of infectious diseases with uh, you know, the spread of vectors that can transmit these diseases in places immune to it before. So our role is really to help them map these risks, these hazards together, and then help them strengthen and optimize the way they address health, safety and security at the workplace and strengthening their, their policy, their standard, but also training and equipping people from managers to employees in changing, uh, adapting their behaviors to, to safe practices that would uh, protect them from the harm of, uh, of uh, climate evolution. So it's very much as we uh, used to do at International SOS, addressing risks and hazards organizations are exposed to. And with this new uh, panorama of, of, of risks that are now you know, booming um, on, their, on their risk map and risk register, understand that there's a lot to do, not, not only in terms of managing the, the risk that arise as a result of climate change adaptation, but also managing the risk arising from climate change mitigation, such as uh, migration or, or relocation of employees. So all of these is really part of uh, the advisory that we bring to our clients to help them make sure that uh, you know, climate evolution, climate change adaptation is very much part of their duty of care for their employees and, and affected communities. And Natalie, what areas of expertise do we have in global health for the aid and development sector? Is that just mainly working with governments? Yeah, so in a very similar way to the way that Philippe has described our work with our consulting clients in the private sector, we also support ministries of health and other areas of government to be able to anticipate the risks that they are potentially facing, assess or quantify them to feed into their health planning, and then also adapt or respond to those risks. So we work with ministries of health and governments. We help to implement the programs of donor partners. So for example, countries like Australia, the UK, the US, and, and regions like the EU that provide donor funding to low and middle income countries. We help them to both design and implement those programs that can help those governments anticipate, assess and adapt to um, global health issues. And we also support development banks like the Asian Development Bank, the ADB and the World Bank and multilateral and technical agencies like WHO and UNICEF. And we, we largely do this in the aid and development sector by drawing on the expertise that we use in, in other areas of international SOS. So, for example, the health and security intelligence and data that we're able to obtain through our assistance networks provide us with a framework that we can help with capacity development of ministries of health and other areas of government to set up their surveillance systems, their early warning systems, and think about what data and monitoring and trends monitoring they need to be able to do to be prepared for the next pandemic or a potential disaster or a climate change related event. 
Similarly, by doing our site health reviews and working through our provider networks and understanding what health service delivery looks like in low and middle income countries, we can provide technical assistance to governments to be able to strengthen the capacity of their health facilities to respond to disasters, to have surge capacity in the event of an acute public health emergency, for example, but also to be able to maintain health provision business as usual whilst responding to a disaster. Because one of the things that low and middle income countries found extraordinarily challenging during COVID was within their limited resources, being able to provide their routine vaccinations, for example, for children while COVID vaccination programs were happening, being able to provide routine hospital care at a time that their hospitals were also being overwhelmed by patients with COVID. So by providing them with the structures and frameworks that they need to be able to engage in health planning to adapt and respond to emergencies, hopefully the aid and development sector with us providing technical support can help them be more prepared for events that might happen in the future. And I understand that One of our key global health programs right now is to work with governments to ensure that their health facilities are resilient to climate change and disasters. So, Natalie, can you tell me a little bit about how that program works and how it contributes to the global health agenda? Absolutely. So so I'm based in Australia and as many people will know, the Pacific region's considered to be one of the world's most vulnerable to climate change and disasters. So you know, in, in addition to the ongoing risk of, you know, earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions, the Pacific's also experiencing significant negative impact from climate change. And this includes things like more frequent and severe cyclones, rising sea levels, people needing to move as a result of rising sea levels and saltwater inundation, meaning that land that was previously able to be used to grow crops is no longer able to be used in that way. And this reduction of arable land and an increase in population density in areas that are more protected from climate change has led to food insecurity and a lack of reliable clean water in many areas across the Pacific, certainly over certain times of the year. And what this has meant is that a burden of disease in the Pacific is changing. So there's a rise in new infectious diseases that didn't exist before as vectors like mosquitoes expand their reach. But at the same time, food insecurity and people living in a higher density to each other is leading to an increase in non-communicable diseases, particularly things like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And then, of course, both of those things contribute to an increase in mental health issues as well. So what we're finding in the Pacific is that health needs are increasing and changing But at the same time, many of the health facilities throughout the Pacific are ageing. So they range between 40 and in for some cases up to 100 years old for the health infrastructure. Most are not built to code to withstand cyclones and earthquakes. Many are located right in coastal areas at sea level. So they're directly vulnerable to climate change. Roads that lead to the hospitals are often washed out in the wet, which impacts geographic access. And many are also delivering a clinical services model or delivering clinical services that may have been appropriate for the burden of disease 10 or 20 years ago, but not been flexible enough to adapt to the changing population structure and changing health needs. 
So as a result, what we're seeing in the Pacific is that demand for health facilities is falling because they're not seen by communities as the solution to their health problems. So what we've done is International SOS has embarked on a program to provide technical assistance to ministries of health to enable them to ensure that health services and the infrastructure that they either have now or that they plan to develop over the next 5, 10, 15 years are resilient to climate change and natural hazards and are actually able to meet the health needs of the population. And the way that we do it is drawing on local knowledge. So I said before, local solutions to local problems. And by understanding the health, climate and infrastructure context in a particular country and matching that with our experience globally in designing and running health facilities, we've been able to develop a three-phase methodology that's based on best practice principles for health facility redevelopment. And essentially what it does is ensure that planning for new health facilities or the redevelopment of health facilities doesn't just jump straight to designing a building, but actually starts with understanding the population structure and the health needs in the catchment area of the facility, moves to designing a clinical services model that meets those needs, and then thinks about how the built environment can support the delivery of that clinical services model in a way that is both climate resilient and enables adaptation to climate change. And that might mean thinking carefully about where health facilities are located in a particular country. It might mean thinking carefully about what the geographic access to that health facility is and providing alternatives, for example, telemedicine, where geographic access is not possible at certain times of the year. And also thinking about surge capacity. So how can business as usual health service provision keep going even in an environment where it's inevitable that disasters and emergencies will continue to happen. And Philippe, can you tell me more about a pilot project that International SOS has been working on in Africa, which aims to help eradicate hepatitis? Uh, you know, Chris, many countries are exposed to chronic diseases and uh, particularly uh, well-known diseases such as hepatitis do circulate are endemic in many places. And that's a, a project, a pilot project we're working on at International SOS where we're supporting definitely uh, or designing a program to eradicate or participate to the eradication of hepatitis B and C, not only because these vaccines are available for hepatitis C and also because a curative treatment is also available for hepatitis C. So we initiated a conversation with uh, uh, many stakeholders of this given country from uh, institutions, of course, you know, the Ministry of Health, but also uh, laboratories, drug manufacturers and the private sector together to put together a program that would support the eradication, at least in one region to start with, of uh, these diseases and make sure that with access to testing and treatment, everyone, citizens, would have access to uh, the possibility to, to get tested and, uh, and being immediately either vaccinated or cured if, um, uh, if needed. So there's a, a very interesting program because our role at International SOS is really to design this program on behalf of all these actors to define what would be the actions, the milestones, the resources, the supply of tests and drugs, but also in terms of uh, monitoring and, and, and making sure the key parameters of the program would be uh, uh, defined ahead of it. So 
supporting the, the, the monitoring of this program as well is one of the of the value of international SOS. So it's very interesting program in reality because that's uh, uh, the, the best definition we can have of global health in action in a particular project, particular region, and a particular topic, of course. Uh, that brings value and, and mutual benefit for everyone. First and foremost, of course, citizens who are, by the way, employees of these uh, of these uh, private organizations, but also uh, the Ministry of Health with a reduction of healthcare costs and uh, ultimately uh, achieving a healthier communities. So we are really spot on in the definition of global health, of course, about one topic, uh, that, but that demonstrate that bringing together all the players, and I think that's the ultimate objective of global health, uh, would help address one specific topic, such as this one of uh, hepatitis in Africa. So finally, Philippe and Natalie, I wanted to ask, in your view, what would be the future of global health? Well, we've talked about some pretty big and potentially overwhelming problems. You know, we've talked about climate change, pandemics, failing health infrastructure, um, infectious diseases. And, and you know, these are all challenges that are, are truly global in nature and they require a coordinated global effort to address. I think COVID really emphasised how connected we are globally and how actually it's in everyone's interest to improve healthcare everywhere. And so I think that innovation in addressing global health issues, I think strengthening health systems to be resilient to key global health and global health security problems and making a truly multidisciplinary approach that might start with health, but brings in education, infrastructure, environment, planning, finance, governance, all of these components actually that are essential to equitably improving health outcomes, um, both within and beyond nations, will be a real focus of technical effort and investment over the next five to 10 years. And Philippe, I'd like to ask your thoughts on the matter as well. I think the the definition of global health, um, as was brought earlier on by Natalie, is really uh, you know addressing health in all its global spectrum. It really, team, it's not only a global as global health; it's also the health of the global population you know, and the planet itself. You know, and I think, as Natalie said, COVID has really demonstrated that such a global health issues can only be tackled together. You know, and hence the need of bringing all stakeholders together that was reaffirmed by you know welfare organization or the, the pandemic treaty that is in, in, in signing the need of private public partnerships is at the earth i guess of, of global health and i'm really optimistic about it because health is of a, an increasing relevance to the private sector we do see it we do witness it at international SOS because it's a multiplier of their economic growth and that's uh, really understood. So that's why the future of global health can only exist with the strong partnership between health institutions, governments, but also the private sector. Okay, Philippe, Natalie, thank you very much for joining me for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Well, that's all for now, but just a reminder that you'll be able to access all the latest information and updates from our website at internationalsos.com. And from there, you can find out about our global network of assistance centres, which are available to clients 24-7. But until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.